for Lord our God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your Son. In the past, the people had so many prophets and you spoke to them in various ways. But in these last days, you have spoken to us and made yourself known to us by your Son. And now, O oh Father, we are going to endeavor to see more clearly the person, the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you may help us. Help us to pay attention. Open our eyes that we may see the wonderful person and act of our Lord Christ. Bless us, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, dear friends, tonight we shall continue our studies in the emotional life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do is that we shall go through this chapter, chapter 11, not in detail, but pick up a number of highlights, uh, noticing through this chapter the emotional life of our Lord. Now let me remind you the benefit of studying this subject. It is that as we endeavor to see more clearly the emotional life of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may understand his person better. What is our Lord like? Uh, we ask our friends to believe in Jesus. And we must tell them what Jesus is like. And friends, as we ourselves are full of Christ in our hearts, naturally we are going to tell people about our Lord. And uh, the Bible does give us insight, windows into the hearts of our Lord Christ. And of course, as we uh, fix our attention upon Jesus, without conscious of that, we ourselves will be transformed to the likeness of Christ. We are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, for those of you who use uh, Spurgeon's morning devotion, uh, it, it is this morning's message. We are to reflect the character of Christ. Whether it is in his passion, in his boldness, in his tenderness, the more we consider the person of Christ, the more we shall be like Jesus. So much so that we shall become uh, as Spurgeon says, living biographies of Jesus. And uh, that you can see is a wonderful blessing. Now John chapter 11 is a fascinating chapter. It's a window into the depth of the emotions of our Lord Jesus. In this chapter, we see Christ our Lord as someone who was sent by Father to this world. God the Son in human flesh. Uh, we remember a basic Christian doctrine is that of the unity of the person of Christ. Uh, there's one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has two natures. His humanity and his divinity, his manhood and his godhood, but it's always one person. It's a unspeakable marvel, isn't it? Where the Son of God took upon himself human flesh and conceived to be a babe in 
the Virgin Mary. He became flesh and he remains flesh to all eternity. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not shed away his humanity when he went to heaven. He took our flesh up to heaven above. Amazing, isn't it? We can't fathom it. Why the Lord God Almighty would do such a thing in love for us. And in this chapter, we see the death of the feelings of our Lord Jesus. His pity, his anger, and so on. We see here in this chapter his divine foreknowledge. He knew what would happen as God. And he had absolute power over death and the grave. Only God has such power. And in this chapter, our Lord Jesus Christ looks death in the face and as the Messiah, he went to the tomb as our warrior friend. And there, he gave death and the devil an advance notice, an advance victory. Our Lord Jesus Christ has life and death in his own hand. And yet, when he looked death in the face, his whole being, his emotion was stirred up like a churning sea. So let us look at it in a few more uh, details. We start at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Nazareth of Bethany, the town of Mary and, his, uh, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Nazareth was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. A friend of our Lord Jesus, a close friend, Nazareth, was saved. He and his family lived in Bethany, near Jerusalem. And it was his sister who anointed the feet of our Lord Jesus with expensive ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. What devotion shown to the Lord. It was Mary's and Mother's brother who was saved. Now by the way, see the faith of these two sisters. Nazareth did not just have a cold or something like COVID. He was very sick. Near death, it was a serious illness. And yet when the sisters sent the message to our Lord, what did they say? Did they say, Lord, come quickly. Our brother is so sick. Stop what you are doing and come immediately. Did they say to the Lord, well, just say a word and our brother will be well. We don't need to come. We believe you got the power. The message they brought to our Lord Jesus is simply this. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Never miss the behold. Lord, Master, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Lord, just look at the fact that he whom you love is sick. What tremendous faith. 
what beautiful thing. They didn't ask much, isn't it? They just let the Lord know and leave it in His hands. My dear friend, isn't this beautiful believing prayer? What is believing prayer? It is quietly and living and confidently living our all in the hands of the Lord. Do what you like. Only consider our suffering. This is believing prayer. Believing prayer is so different to fatalism. What is fatalism? Well, fatalism said, well, there's a fate, uh, there's a providence, you can't argue with that. Fatalism is submitting to blind chance. You can't change it. Life is like this. There's an appointment. Well, believing prayer is radically different. Believing prayer is leaving our all in the hands of our gracious God. It's not resigning to fate, to whatever, maybe, maybe. Saying to the Lord, look at my situation. Look at my trouble and suffering. Unbelieving prayer. It's all of a panic reaction, isn't it? We know that. Thou shame. Unbelieving prayer says, Lord, you must do this. Because I think this is what is the best. Unbelieving prayer is in a hurry. It's not thoughtful. It dictates to the Lord. We are the master. The Lord is our servant. So we learn, first of all, the excellent faith of these two sisters. Alright, so when our Lord received the message, what did he do? In verse 4, our Lord says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus knows in advance, Nazareth is not going to die for long. And this whole matter will turn out for God's glory. And that he, being the Son of God, will be glorified through it. See the unity of the Father and the Son? The Father is glorified. The Son is glorified in it also. And in verse 6, in verse six we are told, when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Our friends, this is a very strange answer to believing praise. Lord, look, he whom you love is sick, and Jesus did not go at all. He purposely stayed two more days where he was, so that Nazareth would die and be buried. He didn't even exercise his authority to say, Nazareth be cured, like that. He let Nazareth die and be buried. This is the Lord's answer to believing prayer. Not that frightening you? Oh, is this what will happen? If I exercise faith, if I leave everything to the Lord, He may do whatever He likes, and He may be so contrary to what I may wish. Is, is this safe at all? Can we trust the Lord to do His own things in His own time? And why did the Lord delay in going to see Nazareth? You see, my dear friends, 
to unbelievers or even the believers who are weak in their faith. It seems the God of the Bible is just playing chess, moving things around according to sovereign good pleasure. And he's not answering to us. And unbelief sees such a God as a tyrant, as a dictator, as someone like Allah of Islam. Allah is high up there and is not accountable to, to, to humanity. And, uh, you can't predict what it will do. Well, and many believers, well, I should say all believers, and some, or I should say all unbelievers, and some believers, think of God like that. Is God like that? Why did Jesus delay? It's not that. He does not love Nazareth or Mary and Martha. On the contrary, look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Nazareth. It was precisely Jesus, because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Nazareth, that he delayed going to see them. It was especially because of his special love for them that he brought them through this very trying trial. This great suffering of death, of bereavement, of going through funeral so it was because of Jesus' special love for them. You know how this special love of Christ for mother and her sister Mary? Nazareth. It says then the text by the names, specific person. And here we learn that our Lord Jesus, in the days of his flesh, had close friends. Or closer friends than others. Jesus had a special love for Mary, Martha, and Nazareth. Because of their faith, because of their devotion to him, this family loved the Lord more than many, many other people. They had great confidence in the Lord. So they were our Lord Jesus' special friends. And you remember the twelve disciples. They were the special friends of our Lord Jesus. And you remember within the twelve disciples, there were the inner circle. Peter, James and John, who were taken with the Lord to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James and John were closer disciples to Jesus than the other nine. Mary, Martha and Nazareth were Jesus' special friends. And of course our Lord Jesus has special affection for Mary, his own earthly mother. What, what do we learn here? What we learn here is that our Lord Jesus Christ is truly human. He's only human that we have some special friends. We don't love everyone equally. And that's right, that's correct. We naturally have affections for our own family members, for parents, for our children, and we naturally have closer friends, even closer cushion friends. Some cushion friends are more like-minded, and we've got a special feelings and liking and affection for them, and there is nothing wrong at all. Well, we learn here that faith in the Lord Jesus does not destroy our humanity or diminish our human relationship and affections. Rather, faith in Christ elevates and sanctifies 
and deepens all our human relationships and affections. Faith in Christ does not make us less human, but more human. If our faith in Christ is healthy and strong, it will make us more affectionate parents, children, friends, siblings, relatives, not less. You know, some people, when they become Christian, they become awkward. They don't relate to their families. Well, that is not right at all. I dare say this to you, that faith in Christ can even sanctify something like Chinese New Year. I mentioned to you before that uh, in the Chiu churches, you may know nothing about that, but that's fine, they have a fine custom of having a Chinese New Year Thanksgiving service first thing in the morning. I think it's a wonderful thing. And uh, undoubtedly the missionaries and later on the pastors taught their people to forsake what is pagan, unworthy and superstitious in the Chinese New Year and to sanctify them. All Christian people can enjoy Chinese New Year. Yes, without the superstitious elements. Actually, my dear friends, faith in Christ sanctifies every aspect of human life and endeavor. Faith in Christ sanctifies music, poetry. Faith in Christ even makes great soldiers like Robert Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and the Chinese Gordon of the British Empire. Uh, some of you know these three men. They were all military men, brave men. Two of them were caught up in the American Civil War. One was caught up in the British Empire's endeavors. They couldn't help it. They lived in their time. They were caught up by circumstances and providence. And yet their faith in Christ sanctified their calling as soldiers. Well, we must not belabor this point for too long. Let's move on. So our Lord Jesus, purposely delayed, going to see his close friends in the particular time of great trial. And by the time our Lord Jesus arrived, Nazareth was dead and buried for four days. Now by the way, we must mention that the Jewish custom, uh, Jews bury their dead on the same day to avoid the temptation of idolizing the dead. Well, I bring this out because uh, we may need to know this uh, sometime in the future. You know the pagans, they tend to play with the dead. Unbelievers, pagans, when they have come along, they, they do so much. What I would say like, play with the dead. Well, we, we have to avoid that. Uh, in some cultures, even some Chinese cultures, or some, not Chinese, but Christian cultures, as I say, well, this is too, too much uh, lingering with the dead and so on. That, that's not, not healthy at all. All right. So, by the time our Lord Jesus arrived, Nazareth was in the, in the tomb four days. And mother being mother, she was an active one, the energetic one, she came out to see Jesus, and she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Undoubtedly, this was a complaint. But it was a complaint of a believer. Or even mother, she had complaints. Well, it was not the first time she complained against the Lord. But notice in verse 22, how she goes on to say, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What faith! The complaint she uttered against the Lord was a complaint of a believer. And the Lord was of her complaints. The Lord uh, commanded a faith. And mother believed whatever the Lord Jesus should ask of God, God will give him. In response to that, in verse 23, Jesus said to mother, your brother will rise again. Well, humanly speaking, we can even say that what Jesus did later on was in, was in, in response to Martha's faith. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to, her, said to our Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha got his theology right. She believed in the resurrection of the dead at the last day. The glorious resurrection. Now we come to that great declaration of our Lord Jesus. He was given first of all to Martha, a woman of faith. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Remember, friends, it was to Martha first, in response to her believing statement, declaration of our Lord's power, that we have this marvelous declaration from the mouth of our Lord. Now later on, Mary came. Now we see the difference between the two sisters. Uh, Martha was the extrovert. Martha was the sister with a lot of energy. Mary was more of a quiet type. And both were wonderful believers. So Mary came to where Jesus was, and when Mary saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is worship. This is complaint. The same complaint mother. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Implying, why have you delayed for so long? Now my brother is dead. He should have come earlier. How did Jesus respond? Did he rebuild her? Did he scold her? Did she say to her, Oh, you have little faith? Verse 34. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Mary was weeping. She was crying. And those of her friends and relations came together with her. They were weeping. There's always a bitter sorrow when someone young dies. There's always a, a bigger funeral when the dead person was only young. The friends were weeping, the relatives were weeping, Mary was weeping, and notice here, 
Jesus grown in the spirit and was troubled. Now let me read you something from the standard Greek New Testament dictionary, one of the best, if not the best. It says this word grown is used of snorting of a horse. The horse gets angry. It is an expression of anger and displeasure. It is used in Mark 1.43 that Jesus warned the people sternly not to make him known. Benjamin Morphy, who wrote the article on the emotional life of our Lord Jesus, says there, this word means anger, rage. That's the meaning. Jesus was angry in the spirit. He was in a rage. For those of you who are more academically inclined, and with Morpheus, exposition on this is brilliant. And he also mentioned Calvin. I think he follows Calvin's line of thought. Jesus, our Lord, he was in a rage. He was groaning in his spirit. He was angry. And also, another word here. He was troubled. That word the dictionary says, shaken up, stirred up, disturbed, unsettled, inwardly moved. That means our Lord Jesus Christ was getting very emotional. He was agitated. He was troubled in his spirit. He was angry. He was in a rage. Why would Jesus be so emotional? What's going on here? It is because our Lord Jesus looked death in the face. He saw the human suffering in death. The dear sister with him. The people are weeping. This is what death brought to humanity. And our Lord Jesus here was angry at death. He was troubled by death. Because death is the great enemy of all humanity. Is it not so? Death pays no respect to anyone. It does not discriminate anyone, whether one is a Christian, or Buddhist, or atheist, Asian, tall, rich, poor, death, levels all of us on the ground. When death comes, it takes away our beauty, it severs all our relationship, it destroys all our achievement, it wipes out all our earthly association. Some of us know this more than others know. Death is the greatest sorrow on earth. Not just death to ourselves, but the grief, the bereavement, the separation, the destruction, the ruination. And you younger ones, you shall know it. We older ones, we shall face it sooner. It is the Chinese custom to have a time for viewing the dead in the film. I don't advocate that at all. I don't quite like it. But I have not forbidden it, so long as it's not idolatrous. Many people find it to be an unbearable experience. When the time came 
the people I invited to come and build the body, I saw many came up reluctantly and turned their faces. They knew they had to do it, but they won't let it look at the damn in the face. Why? Because death is ugly. It is unnatural. No amount of cosmetic can make the death beautiful. Here, Lord Jesus, looked death in the face, and he was angry. Why? Because he is human. Because he's the king and head of a new humanity. Because this is his problem for the sake of his people. And that's why he was angry at his enemy and the enemy of all his people. So our Lord Jesus made that journey. He got right there to the tomb. He asked them, sorry, it's not, not yet. Well, I got too quickly. Well, Jesus asked the people, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Oh. How can we express this verse? What can we say about this verse? The dictionary says Jesus burst into tears. Jesus could not control his tears. He wept. He wept. You know, commentators can be... Uh, how can I put it? They can be so academic. <laughs> they like to ask this question, Why did Jesus weep? He knew he was going to raise up Nazareth from the dead. Only maybe half an hour later, Nazareth is going to be out of the tomb. It's going to be a happy ending. Why did Jesus weep? There's no, no point for that. You can tell this uh, cold armchair academic commentators or theologians. What did the Bible say? Jesus blessed the peace. And the people, the Jews who saw that, they said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Why did Jesus weep? Because he loved Nazareth. Jesus did not come to the tomb as a cold-blooded, detached, professional, miracle weapon. He came to Nazareth's tomb as his friend. And Nazareth was really dead. He was really in the tomb. His body was decaying and he was, he was literally smelling. Got a stench. He was real death of a dear friend. And those tears of Mary and Martha and the, and the crowd, they were real sorrows. Jesus went to the tomb as the savior friend of sinners, who himself soon laid down his life to save his sin-sick, death-bound people. He wept. He was in sympathy. He was in pity and compassion that our Lord Jesus went to the tomb. Oh, what comfort we can take. When we suffer, when we are grieved, when we are facing our own death, the Lord loves us. 
they love us daily. In all our affliction, He is afflicted. Remember Jesus' tears. The tears of the Son of God. Now we move on to verse 38. Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. There was a cave and a stone lay against him. Now the warrior Savior came right to the gate of death itself. To the tomb. And death challenges, challenges him to a duel. And Jesus said, to the people, take away the stone. Death mocks him. Are you ready for a fight? Jesus says, yes. Take away the stone. I'm going to face you. Oh, mother being mother. She was always very practical, even in grief. She said, Lord, by this time there's a stench. For he has been dead four days. Now, Martha could see our Lord was getting too emotional. And, and well, she was emotional too, but she was not as emotional as our Lord Jesus. And she tried to stop our Lord Jesus. But come down. Don't, don't be too angry. Huh? Don't be too much in grief and sorrow. Now, it's not going to do any good. Taking away the, the stone. It's going to smell. It's not going to do us any good at all. Oh, Jesus had no, no time for her practical common sense. He said to her, Did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Jesus will not be hindered by Martha for this fight. He's going to fight. Yes, but before I do that, when the people have taken away the stone, what did Jesus do? Verse 41. He lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. What a prayer. Our Lord Jesus calls God Father. And He is anxious that those who would see this miracle should believe that He has been sent by the Father. That He is the Messiah. That He is the Savior of the world. That He is to conquer sin and death. And now, the climax. In verse 43. And when he has said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Nazareth, come forth! Jesus went down to fight death. And by mere call, he called Nazareth out of the dead. He has been observed by some commentators, older commentators. They say, if our Lord Jesus did not call Nazareth by name, all the dead would come out at that time. Such is his divine power and authority. Nazareth, come out. And Nazareth came out, bound hand and foot, with great clothes, and his face was wet with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Lose him, let him go. You see, my dear friends, you notice in John chapter 11, at the end of it, it was this miracle 
that brought about the Jewish high priest's suggestion that Jesus must die. Caiaphas being the chief, the, the high priest that year, he suggested to the people that the Lord Jesus should die for the whole nation so that the nation would not perish. And John adds in his comment that Caiaphas was prophesying because he was the high priest. And Caiaphas was prophesying that Christ our Lord would die, not just for Jews, but for the Gentiles also, and gather the whole crowd of his people to himself. Or something like maybe a week or ten days or something like that later on. Our Lord Jesus Christ will literally go down to the grave himself and fought death with his own death. Only a short while later, our Lord Jesus would take the principality and powers and he would fight them to their death. When they thought they've killed our Lord, death itself was conquered. Christ our Lord went down to the abode of the dead. Paradoxical. When the devil was smiling and laughing his head off, his power over the grave was cut off. And dear friends, as we conclude, as we conclude tonight, what our Lord Jesus says is still ringing in our ears, isn't it? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. My friends, do you, do you know this? Do you believe this? Christ is the resurrection and the life, and those who believe in him, they may die, but they shall live. To the believers in Christ, death is the entrance to life. Death is the entrance to a new beginning. After death, to the believers, it's life everlasting. And furthermore, those who die in the Lord will be raised gloriously in the last day. We are still waiting for that. But Jesus goes on to say, Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There, he's talking about another kind of death. Spiritual death. My friends, the moment we believe in Jesus, we come to life spiritually, and we shall never die. What a comfort. Once we believe in the Lord Christ, we shall never die spiritually. We may face all kinds of difficulties and troubles. We may stumble and fall, we may get sick. We may be tested to the extremes. We may fall down and have many bruises. But we shall not die. Never ever. And our Lord Jesus challenged Mother, do you believe this? And you remember Martha's answer? It's so beautiful, isn't it? Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. What a beautiful answer. Our Lord Jesus asked, do you believe this? This truth about life after death for the believers, about the resurrection of the body, about once you believe your spiritual life everlasting. Do you believe this? Do you believe this truth? Do you believe this doctrine? And Mother says, I believe you.
Jesus' name. Amen. 